Podboys Productions. Welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Podcast with your boy, Padre. Also, streaming live on Twitch as soon as I start. You know there's going to be loud cars and trucks and whatever going by. Probably hear some trains in a minute. We'll see what helicopters. We'll see what else is in store for us. But it's June, tail end of June. Gotta get another Movies Pod in. And, of course, have to talk to my boy E-Nam over there in BK. How's it going this evening? Oh, yeah, man. I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about the last movie that I saw, uh, which, of course, was Hot Tub Time Machine 2. So, Wow. I haven't seen that one even. Well, I was in a hotel with nothing to do for a very long time. Uh, we're just talking off mic about your recent travel, so I was about to say that must have been a plane pick, but it was the hotel... Uh, pretty similar scenario yeah you know not a bad movie but mostly it just made me miss comedies you know how they haven't made a comedy that didn't star both kevin hart and the rock for the last five years well i did see one i was on a plane the other day and i ended up watching tag from a couple years ago which did not have kevin hart or the rock but wasn't actually a comedy tough to say but at least it didn't meet that. I never saw Tag, but I, did Tag come out the same year as Game Night? Did we have a did we have a Deep Impact um, Armageddon situation with Tag and Game Night? You know what? I want to say it was I want to say yes. Twenty, I believe Tag was twenty eighteen. Was was that Game Night as well? I've got IMDb right here. Yeah, I didn't make that connection. Uh, Game Night is a movie I did see, and I thought it wasn't bad. Like, it was watchable. No, I really liked it. Yeah. Game Night is 2018. I didn't connect those two in my head at all. I mean, Tag is supposedly, like, based on a true story. So, obviously, it's just a made-up story with this scenario of these... There are these, like, grown men that actually do this, though. They showed them at the end. And, like, in the movie, there it's, like, Jake Johnson and John Hamm and stuff. And then you see the real guys at the end. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was, there's was a weird plot line about... Not a plot line, but there's, like, a whole thing about faking a miscarriage in it. It was, it was kind of strange. Like, there are things to talk about with that one, I would say, I guess. If anyone really wanted to sit down one day and break it down. I'm not going to be that person, but... Yeah, there's some weird, strange elements to that one. Jesus Christ. But that was my plane pick. You had your hotel. Uh, I don't have an alliteration for that. Your hotel hang in the hot tub time machine. You got it. Adam Scott's in that one, right? Sure. Yes. Yes. 
I feel like uh, on podcasts with Scott Ackerman, he always makes fun of him for that or brings that up or something. Or one of the many things he makes fun of him about. But, um, yeah, I saw the first Hot Tub Time Machine at, like, a pre-screening. I think my friend's uh, girlfriend at the time, actually his now wife, at the time his girlfriend was, like, working for some production company or something where they had some involvement with the movie and, like, we went to it. It killed, like, it in the theater, I remember it got, like, everyone was loving it. Rob Corrigan and everything was, all the scenes were hitting real hard. And then that it just kind of, I guess they made a sequel, but it didn't seem like a popular movie, I guess, you know. Never really. You know, I thought, I remember thinking the first one was really funny. Like, I really enjoyed it. I don't remember shit about it. Well, I do remember this. They have a more rubbing in the salt thing for Cleveland sports where they, uh. Yeah, yeah. They bring back the the element of like I believe it's the fumble. It's one of the you know Browns things that, that that always gets brought up, and then it doesn't happen that way. And when the butterfly effect or whatever or something, so I remember that part. Right. Um, anyway, we're not he- really here today to talk these light comedies because we're gonna get pretty serious with our main topic. Old uh, Saint Maud is the pick today. This is a this is an Eric pick here. There wasn't really a so the format of the show of the show now would do one newer film, uh, one classic film to pair it with. This came out I guess like a year ago or so, right? Twenty nineteen, but that was probably its festival release. I, I don't like because uh, I have like a trivial brain like that, and like I know I like when knowing when movies come out and stuff. When it's just like the one festival release, like I don't feel like that should be. The, the the year they give it then, you know. Well, and, like, that's not the year in which it is eligible for awards. I mean, I don't think St. Right. Maude was up for any awards, uh, for any big awards this year, but... I mean, this is... I, I had heard some buzz about it. We'll get all into it in a minute or two, but um, it was a movie I had heard of, and I'd heard some buzz definitely about it. I didn't really know what it was about or anything, but I think it was a, a, a critical or an indie darling type of uh, thing, right? Right, right. A bit. The kind of movie to which we are drawn. True. And then, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And then there's, so there's a little bit of a last minute pick. And yeah, like I was leading that up just to say there was nothing really that, that's come out recently that's good for us to talk about, I guess. We'll see about next month. Hopefully there'll be something, but. Well, it's it's going to be fine for next month because Fast 9 will be out. Oh yeah, I think it came out today, actually. So we could have. Oh yeah, I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> we could have. Um, we should have watched that today. Live stream from the theater. I saw a Quiet Place too in theaters, you know, a couple weeks ago, just just for the hell of it, you know, why not? I don't think that was worth an episode. Did you like it? Uh, I didn't dislike it. Okay. It was. It felt really short for some reason. Not that it was a bad thing. I like Killian Murphy. You know, it's good to see him. He was rocking the beard. Uh, definitely an upgrade for me from Krasinski mm-hmm. in front of the camera. You know, in that dad type role. But from the directing standpoint, Krasinski is fine. I would generally agree. They, I, how it ended was a little weird. Well, that's what I guess saying it felt short too. It was like a little abrupt, I kind of, or I, I saw what they were doing with the thoughts. Like they're kind of having the kids do more in this one or their type of thing. Yeah, it's okay. It was okay. I was happy to be back in the theater watching. Sure. Speaking of which though, for the pair for this month, I just threw this one in because I saw this in the theater as well. My beloved New Beverly Cinema is reopened now. Nice. That's a theater here in L.A. that's owned by Quentin Tarantino that does... Well, there's a word for it. I'm trying to remember. 
when they play mostly older movies, like a repertory th- or something like that. It's something somewhere like that. Repertory. Maybe a repertory. Re- mm. That might not be right. Yeah. Revival. It's revival, That's right? not the word I'm looking for. No, it's only revival if it's out of print. I know it's like a weirder word, but, but it kind of could be considered that too, I guess. But basically, they play some newer movies, but once in a while, like I think that next month they're... There's a movie that's going straight to Netflix, but they're actually going to play it on like 35 millimeter for a week at this theater. They always have everything on film, you know, classic film, and they play usually double features most nights of films from all eras, you know, and usually it's a themed. So I went to it the other day and it was, they're doing a week or two of, for like Pride Month, they're handing out these buttons to you that say like New Beverly with a, what the hell, throw this bad boy on. I probably haven't worn a button in since like grade school or something you didn't go through a goth phase or i guess that'd be a punk phase uh no i mean it, of course it seems like i would have right now that's definitely not of the two of us certainly you certainly you come off that way yeah i come off more that way no i did not go is that a wait you said it's goth or punk to wear uh buttons in my high school it was all kind of an intermingled subculture because everyone really got along anyway but uh there was a big stickers on backpack or or buttons on backpack riot girl thing uh, aesthetic that that took over for about a year and a half i could kind of picture that aesthetic i guess but yeah this says so this just says the theater's name so the double feature i went to was dracula's daughter which we'll talk about spoiler alert you told me you couldn't could not get through it even though it's a 70 minute movie i couldn't hang it's from 1936 i will say it's probably a lot tougher when you're not in the theater with a bunch of people watching that one so I had a pretty fun time with it. I was thinking that as I as I hit the X. Yeah. And then the one that I re- was actually really more interested in that I was going for was the second part of the double feature was a movie that's been on my list for quite a while. So I was like, oh, let me go across that one off to you, which was The Hunger, Tony Scott's, uh, I believe, feature film debut from 83. Oh. Have you seen that? No. I literally just heard somebody talking about it on, a, on, on another podcast. That's exciting. Probably they saw the same revival or something they're they're an la person maybe i mean this was only this was only literally like tuesday night that i went it's friday now so i'd be oh. surprised unless your pot the, the podcast you're listening to are real uh, real on the ball there but what a fucking coincidence uh did you like it uh i i did like it overall i don't know how i feel about it i mean um so this is about a it's got david bowie Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. It's to- so Tony Scott. You know he directed Top Gun. He directed uh, a tons of movies. Oh. He sadly committed suicide. Jumped off a bridge a couple of years ago. Uh, Ridley Scott is his brother, who's had the more career that's more of like the critically acclaimed movies for the most part. But and Tony Scott's a little more. Like, he started out as a music video director and stuff. He's a little more mainstream, I guess. Right. So this movie, like, it opens with the song Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus, I think. I think it's the real bander guy in the in the movie. So it's, like, the first, like, ten minutes is, like, practically, like, a um, music video. So it's, like, very stylistic. Not a whole lot of plot. I, I definitely like some elements of it. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite vampire films. But um, it, it is an interesting thing where vampires in this, or at least some of them... I couldn't quite tell, but Catherine Deneuve's a vampire, and, and she's with David Bowie. And then he starts getting old all of a sudden, real quick, out of nowhere. But it seems like she's had a bunch of her, like, mates that this happened to. So they didn't really explain it. Is this just, like, does her power to turn people into vampires only last a certain length, and they start getting real old? 
Because you don't think of vampires ever getting old. They usually stay the same age, you know, uh, physically appearing, you know. Because she's not getting old, so it's not like all vampires in this world. So I don't really know about that. But again, it's not really about the plot. And then, you know, the Pride comes into Pride Month pick because her next kind of target for a mate is Susan Sarandon, who is a, like, some kind of doctor of, like, studying aging, I guess. So that ties into the aging thing, too. But she's, like, working with animals and stuff, like monkeys and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of loud monkey noises and stuff, too. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, like, very loud in parts and, like, bombastic kind of a little bit. You know, I don't hate a Susan Sarandon it's a love scene, uh, certainly. But, yeah, but ultimately, I don't know. I, I didn't, I will say I didn't, it, it didn't blow me away or anything. Well, it's like a popcorn, like, erotic thriller, right? Like, it's not... Yeah, and it actually, you, despite what I just said about the, the two, the pairing there... It really wasn't that erotic, I, I gotta say, to me at least. Maybe I could have, I could have won a little bit more. Gotcha, gotcha. That's her. And, and Tony Scott's not really known for that either, so I guess I can see why. Yeah, I don't know. But back to the first part of the feature, uh, I do think Dracula's Daughter of the Two does pair, strangely pairs a little bit better with St. Maud. So that was on the Pride Month because I guess it's considered, I mean, there's, I don't know, you didn't get, what did you say, you got about 30 minutes into it? A little bit less than halfway? Yeah, yeah, they're about. There is some pretty heavy lesbian subtext in this film. You might not have, most of it's in the second half, a little bit more, so I guess. I'm trying to think. Again, it's really short. The first 15, 20 minutes kind of picks up exactly. Have you seen the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi? I mean, if I have, it's been, you know, decades. We did watch a lot of the, uh, like, universal creature features. That's one of the main ones, I think. When I was a kid. Like, like Black Lagoon, uh, Dracula, them shits, the mummy. Frankenstein, the mummy. The Invisible Man is a good one. Let's, we're gonna reverse order here, I guess. Normally we talk about the newer movie first, but since you didn't really see this one, we'll just get it. And we're already, I'm already talking about the, my trip to the old cinema. We might as well bang it out. Let's get into it, dog. So the first part of the movie kind of, it picks up literally where Dracula ends, I guess. Van Helsing is getting arrested for... It begins literally where Dracula ends with one of my favorite line readings of all time, where a guy just stares at another guy and goes, he's dead. Yeah, see, that got a big laugh in the theater. I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is like the, I guess the fun thing about seeing this type of film you know, in a theater with people, things like that. So there is some intentional humor in this movie, which doesn't always go that great. And then there's some probably unintentional stuff with various line readings and things, which are funny, you know, in hindsight, to a modern audience. So, because they were doing comedy, they were clearly trying to do comedy with this character as well, this kind of rookie cop type of guy. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, that got a big laugh in the theater. Did you get to the part where the Countess, you know, Dragula's daughter goes to the dinner party and she first meets the psychologist guy yes i believe i saw the dinner party a dinner party okay that's probably around where you would have tapped out if you made it about 30 minutes but because i don't think the it's probably maybe about 15 or 20 minutes till the psychologist guy even gets introduced i think who's one of the main characters yeah there's a line where she says like she gets offered wine or something and she says like i don't drink wine with like a big pause so that got that was a big laugh in the theater that does sound like a line that would have been in uh one of the little outtakes 
or kickouts on Scrubs when they're doing scenes from Doctor Acula, <laughs> but nineteen thirty six. Yeah. Which when you when you suggested this, I did text you back nineteen thirty six. Are you mad at me? And turns out I could not handle nineteen thirty six. Yeah, I know. I guess not. Uh, not at home by herself, at least. I mean, I like my main thing was it is really short, but not short enough, I suppose. And it is unfortunate because like you saw, I'm not mad at you for not 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 finishing it. Uh, this is my fault. I know it's the last kind of last minute anyway, just happened to see it. But I do think that interesting stuff is in the second half of the film, probably. That's unfortunate. So basically, I'll get into what, what the point of it and why it wasn't like the Pride Month thing and stuff. So it is like heavy lesbian subtext. So they, they're kind of using the being a vampire. It's like it's a clear analogy for being homosexual, I guess, or whatever, you know, different in that way. Um, having these like desires, even they did know. I think the re- the original script had even a lot more straight up text into that, and being the, the time period, they you know the studio made them rewrite it or do it differently. But the like the original poster has like a tagline that says something like, "She makes you feel a weird way" or something like that. <laughs> nice. So well, here's the other interesting thing too, and why I think it pairs better with Saint Maud than The Hunger or another movie that. I mean, there's probably better pairs than this, clearly, but why I think it does work a little bit as a double feature in a weird way. I mean, tonally, it definitely doesn't, because, like, that's a real hard... I mean, maybe you would want to watch something later like this after... (laughs) After same month. God. But it is, like... And the interesting part, too, of this is, like, she... The Countess, I don't remember what her name is, but Dracula's daughter, which also, I'm not... like, how does Dracula have a daughter? Is it just mean, like, someone he turned? Or, I don't know. But I assume you can't father kids after you become a vampire. But I, who knows? It's got to be, like, a, it's got to be, like, someone else. According to all the other vampire shit I've seen in my life, it's got to be, like, someone that he turned that he was especially, like, fond of. Yeah, that makes Not sense. Not, like, a literal daughter. Her name is Countess Maria Zalestra. Okay, it's Countess Zalestra. So... It's a little bit more interesting that she doesn't want... So when Dracula dies, she thinks that she won't have the, like, vampire urges anymore for some reason. I don't know why she thinks that, but she does. And her, like, familiar guy, this guy Sandor, is, like, telling her, like, no, I mean, what are you talking about? It's still gonna happen. It doesn't believe it, which is true. So then she gets involved with this psychiatrist guy or psychologist or whatever he is. She thinks he can help her or something. And then that's where you get more into, like, their talk is, like, more into, like, the the subtext of, of it all but it was interesting to me that like that usually vampires don't care they're like happy to go out and get new victims and stuff but she was trying to fight against it mm-hmm. which is kind of there's some ties to saint Maud with that i think or like so, a tortured soul type of thing certainly that thinks they need to do one thing maybe in the case of a vampire they really do need to do it which is not the case for like the character the path the character goes down in saint Maud, but but yeah so there's one scene which is probably somewhat controversial at the time where after the the doctor leaves he can't help her that night or whatever like she wanted she goes and finds gets the sandor familiar guy to get her a, a girl just from the street to like to paint that's what she says and it does seem like she initially is like does just want to try to paint her but then obviously can't resist uh sucking her blood you know but there's a scene where the girl's like undressing even and stuff and like pulling her blouse down and stuff so for 1936 you know i could see why it's considered a lesbian film i guess and then there the other character there's kind of a scene too with the other character she ends up kidnapping the other 
main female character who's like the the doctor's assistant or whatever secretary who's like a i don't know why they made the character like some rich girl or something or some someone um of note i guess so she could just talk back to him the whole time and do whatever um but sure some of the dialogue between them was working for me okay like there's some kind of funny stuff she like prank phone calls him when he when he's like at with the with the countess then someone re- it's like the classic thing someone real calls and he thinks it's her still right right so they got a little humor there i don't know if you got to that part i don't think i saw that part yeah the scenes to watch i mean the main scene to watch is the one i was just talking about with the girl um, that they get and then she ends up in the care kind of of the doctor himself he tries to take her out of the hypnotism and she ends up dying then after that and yeah so the countess steals his you know assistant girl whatever so there's a little scene too like that's like pretty subtext heavy with the two of them as well and then in classic like universal or old movie in general fashion but especially universal horror it just ends super abruptly the film after about 70 minutes (laughs) yep classic yeah so the the familiar is the one who ends up killing the dracula's daughter because he it's a classic thing He, i don't know why these familiars always fall into the trap like the the vampires are never gonna make you a, a vampire they just want they just want a slave and on the good on the show uh have you seen what do you what we do in the shadows the tv show i can't remember if we talked about it yes i am very fond of what we do in the shadows that it's like major plot lines with that idea and that show um, with the familiars so soon then they're never you're never gonna get made a vampire sorry guys anyway that was dracula's daughter we should jump into saint maud however which i know you said you were a uh, you're a big fan of this one or you liked it a lot right yeah so last time we spoke uh i hadn't really been watching anything but top chef for a while um i was just sitting around just like man not even your beloved uh, youtubes of ghost uh, fighters or whatever i've uh ghost I've, I've i've ripped a, sucked the joy out of all the things that i love uh in this world and can no longer experience any joy wow no i was just sitting around like like holy shit Top like chef. i should watch some fucking movies so i started watching movies that were either like varying degrees of fucked up or horror movies that were varying degrees of fucked up i watched this <laughs> After a run in which I watched... This qualifies. Uh, Gaspar Noe's Climax, which is fucking riveting. What a ride, that movie. Mm, yeah, he did text me about that. And then I watched story. this, this uh, horror movie from, I think, two years ago called The Vigil, which is... It's got some pretty, like, fucked up, like, body horror stuff going on. It's... Cronenberg-ish stuff. Yeah, and then it ends up being, like, a supernaturally chills thing... And I rolled that right into St. Maud, and I thought it was an interesting double double feature that I accidentally did that night. Because, like, both of these, the whole point of that, that movie, The Vigil, was this guy is like a former Orthodox person who is, like, fighting against what he perceives as harm done to him by having been raised in that community and, like, kept away from, from the rest of the world. But it also, um, it's, it's juxtaposing that against both the supernatural element and the existential pain that um, is said to have been visited on the Jewish community for, you know, centuries, documented history. And, like, I thought that that was a really interesting movie, so I, I wanted to watch, like, more of these fucked up Babadooki, like, it's not actually about the monster horror movies. So I watched St. Maud, uh, which is extremely fucked up, uh, and really interesting, really riveting, and hurts to watch. 
Yeah, so uh, another similarity between the two as well. Another short one, basically. Maybe only like 80, maybe like 82, 83 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's like 84 minutes. Is that going for it if you like a shorter film? Wait, did you know anything about this going in? Because like I was saying, I had heard of it. I heard it was good, but... The only thing that I knew about it going in uh, was that like a week before I had read a tweet from just like some... Uh, leftist journalist Twitter personality that I like that just said, well, I finally watched St. Maud and all I have to say is fuck. So I thought it would be pretty interesting at least. I guess I kind of knew there's some some religious element. I mean, it's called Saint, obviously, but that doesn't, you know, could just be called that for whatever reason. But it is definitely a religious theme in the film. Although I wouldn't, I mean, we, we'll get into spoilers soon enough. I guess we probably need to, but general thoughts clearly there's a ton of religious imagery and like the characters religious um we find out it's a new like a new thing for her basically but she's um got real into it yeah but from like the filmmaker's perspective i don't think they're trying to say religion's good or anything like that and it was more about i think the character this character so just basically it's a nurse home care nurse i guess you'd call it or whatever like that palliative home care nurse like she's always working with dying people uh you find out right right but you find out that's like a newer ish job for her as well she used to be a nurse at a hospital Mm -hmm. and she gets this patient who's like a ex-dancer choreographer something like that somewhat notable figure who's dying presumably of cancer i don't know if they specifically say i can't remember yeah she's clearly acting very religious she tells the woman that god speaks to her and acts through her you see scenes of her like shaking kind of and things like that uh whatever you'd call that and then things evolve or devolve from there but again not a super plot heavy movie it's definitely more about the character study Mm -hmm. so is there any other thoughts i'll say I, i liked it as well it's definitely like we're talking about you know it's gets pretty fucked up by the end i would say it kind of reminded me of a Paul Schrader film, a la First Reformed or Taxi Driver or something like that. It reminded me a lot of First Reformed, yeah. But it had the sheen of these A24, you know, hereditary, these, you know, yeah, yeah. newer style horror films, especially from that studio, A24, what I mentioned. Definitely cinematography-wise and soundtrack-wise, it was like that. But the character was like a Paul Schrader character or like a Scorsese character, almost like a Robert De Niro like I said, in Taxi Driver, one of those type of characters that's like a very loner. They're clearly something wrong with them. Uh, psychologically, they don't know how to handle certain things and they go down this essentially destructive path. Yeah, it's one of those characters that like starts the movie over the edge. And and it, like like in the old cartoons, they just haven't found out that there's no ground beneath them yet to actually like explode, like, like in Taxi Driver. Like in, yeah. It's like because Schrader does have a lot of his... I mean, most of his movies that he's written or directed are. Do you have religious themes as well, I would say. So, yeah, do you want anything else you want to say non-spoiler-wise before I really get into it? Yeah, this movie is beautiful. Rose Glass, he both wrote and directed it. It is her first feature film. It's hard to express as someone who is not a movie film school guy. Uh, like, I don't have the vocabulary. But the shots and the angles and the lighting and framing, it's very... The word people use on film podcasts and in film reviews is painterly, but it is it is very carefully visually constructed uh, in a way that is very pleasing to watch. And yeah, like you were saying, it does treat her mental ill, or it does treat her like 
faith, her, her, her apparently new uh, devotion to the Lord, or in air quotes, the Lord, as like a symptom of her obvious mental illness. So if you're super religious, uh, that might, you know, not be the film for you. But it was for me. And uh, there is some type of mental illness thing, but also it's triggered by some, there is a, we get a little more insight into it later in the film, but a, a traumatic experience she suffered at the hospital where she was working before. The main character is played by Morfred, some crazy Welsh name. So, uh, yeah, the actress is clearly Welsh, and um, some of the dialogue is Welsh. Or when the god speaking to her, he speaks in Welsh, which is interesting. I think that would. That is one of the scenes. Yeah, that's one of the scenes specifically that I was thinking of. That's like so aesthetically pleasing to watch with the like the weird glowing light. It's shot like yeah. it's shot from slightly above and clearly like in the wall as if the perspective you are now god that is both like being filmed speaking in air quotes uh to mod and i was assuming it takes place in wales too then or it's somewhere in the uk i guess but the patient is um, it's specifically not london yeah yeah it's definitely not london it's somewhere with a shitty looking park called coney island and she was even saying like why is my why is the patient why is she even living here because she's american it seems yeah it might be like swansea or something and i loved the voice too of the of the morford actress whatever morford clark i think is her name i'm probably butchering that pronunciation but yes she's narrating throughout the film too a lot and like her her voice is really great but anyway, yeah, let's get into full spoilers here. So we already kind of said, like, it's the character going down the path, which we've talked about before. But I guess you're supposed to determine, is she is anything she's seeing or experiencing real in terms of the religious stuff, God speaking to her, all that stuff? Or is it all completely in her head? It's all just a way to manage her trauma and her kind of lonely bad life um, right and i would even say i would even say the movie has a definitive point of view on that and we should not spoil uh the final few minutes one way or another oh you don't want to even though i just said full spoilers <laughs> i don't know the last shot specifically <laughs> let's say this i because I, I want to talk about it if you're still listening now and you haven't seen it yet sign on off i would think probably that's not too many people anyway but yeah, we'll see you in a couple days when you've had a chance to watch a movie that we really really liked or that i really really liked yeah I liked it too. Um, I don't know about really, really. I mean, I've definitely been thinking. I watched it like two days ago, I guess. I've been thinking about it a lot. It's definitely one of those, especially due to that ending. Yeah, I think we need to talk about it. Because I think like you're just saying that the movie has a point of view on that, which I think it really completely plays its cards with the last, what, second, half second, whatever, of the film. Yeah. That it does seem to be in her head, and it's a delusion, right? Yeah. And you can kind of tell the whole way along, uh, the whole way along yeah. when she wants to kick out the, uh, the the escort that Amanda has coming over. It's because like she's like got a crush on Amanda. It's because like is it? So that's another thing too. They had this weird immaculate orgasm together when she was feeling religious ecstasy and Amanda was masturbating, and she feels that homoerotic connection between them, but has adopted this new religious personality where she cannot allow that to be. A thing and she's actually what she's doing is saving her soul and what what that means is making her exactly like morphin or mod so i guess that is another connection too uh, of there is more subtext in this as well i guess between the two the main characters yeah yeah because well i didn't know she was masturbating i didn't pick up on that necessarily i thought she was just kind of playing along like how you know because she says at the end dying is boring so i was just going along with it but i didn't oh yeah you may be right. 
Well, you, you may be right too. I don't know. I mean, they didn't explicitly show it out. I think I would have noticed that. But they do kind of do, yeah. I mean, it does seem like orgasmic or something, like the way she kind of like goes back and experiences the Lord or whatever. And I think their hands touch a little bit. So yeah, then also when the thing that happens to get her dismissed is at her birthday party or whatever, Amanda's birthday party, she kind of confronts her about trying to get the... So I, it is just an escort, I guess, or it's like someone she's paying for sex and companionship. Yes, explicitly, yeah. Trying to get her earlier to leave Amanda alone. And she says something like, I don't know if you're bigoted or just jealous or something, which could be both. <laughs> yeah, when she's in the scene where Maude is, it's very funny to me, in this scene where Maude is like trying to kick out the escort and tell her not to, not to see Amanda again, what is the line? Just like, do, do you just not like the Chief Fox girls? Uh, and, and Maud says something like, I, would, I don't, I, or I wouldn't care if you had an eight inch cock. It's just not healthy for her to be seen. <laughs> I don't know if I picked up on that specific line about an eight inch cock. Maybe it was the accent. That is funny. Yeah, I obviously got the uh, intent, you know, intent of the scene, but I don't know. <laughs> I might have missed that specific line. Um,. Yeah, some really dazzlingly uncomfortable dialogue, too, in this scene that you were talking about, yeah. where Amanda is confronting her about her having, like, tried to meddle. Yeah, so then she ends up... She, Amanda takes it a little bit too far. Maud slaps her, and then obviously gets fired over that. Can't slap your dying patient, um, even if they're being uh, rude to you. So that's when it goes really downhill for Maud. So then you start getting the backstory a little bit, her old friend, or, or I guess she doesn't really have any friends, but like her old acquaintance, her old coworker, sees her on the street and calls her Katie. So we realize that's her real. She changed her name as well with the recent conversion. Do, do you think what's the symbolism between behind the name Maud? Is there anything you can think of? Or? I genuinely, I don't have anything for that. I mean, maybe it just sounds like an old kind of stuffy name. I guess that maybe if you're like, I'm gonna convert to being really religious, so I'd get yeah. But I yeah, I couldn't come up with anything either. I feel like there must be something, though. It is an interesting note that, like, she had a normal name, like, Katie, um, and actively chose the name of, a, of, like, an old, like, spinster. Yeah, so I think it's got to be tied in that's her decisions in some way, but... But anyway, you find that out, and then the co-worker alludes to whatever happened, but we don't still know what it is. So then later she kind of decides to go out and start doing some of her old life things, which is just, like picking up guys or drinking and stuff like that giving hey joes in in bar bathrooms yeah yeah so who knows about how she used to be but probably still like socially awkward or whatever it doesn't really like there's a scene where she's like tries to start laughing at this was reminding me more of like a 70s de niro character or whatever one of these type of characters where like Mm -hmm. she starts trying to laugh to like get in their conversation or something which clearly doesn't work it just looks weird you know or whatever also, their drink. She keeps seeing drinks like spinning. What was the symbolism there? Do you think is that some type of religious thing? I'm not familiar with. I just kind of took that as her just starting to lose it. Yeah, I mean, someone with a really broken brain trying to fill the god hole with, with, with anything but a god, and then two disastrous effect with uh, with an actual religious doctrine. I was just wondering if there's something specifically with like spinning or drinks or something, because like some of the other things are. Like, she's lifted up in the air, like, in a pose type of thing, which could kind of be... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that might have been from... Because she was also, in one scene, looking at Amanda's posters and things. 
because she was a choreographer, dance choreographer, I think so. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was doing that pose in it in the poster, I think, and then she's like... Because that's another thing you can tell her, that it's all in her head or whatever, too, I believe, because um, that's coming in. And then she literally has, like, hey, uh, wing angel wings at one point, yeah. which obviously you get the religious symbolism there. But, well, yeah, with the drink thing, I just didn't know if that was something I was missing, but... Yeah, all I read into that was that she was just starting to fucking lose it. Yeah. But anyway, some... She ends up with some other guy. She's banging him, and then she starts remembering about. So what the traumatic experience, I guess, was that she was trying to do CPR on a patient that was dead already, maybe, or I get, I assume dead already. But she like burst through their chest. It was like the, from the thing or something, almost like bursting through the actual. Yeah, yeah. It was so unsettling. Yeah. So that's I guess when it that was the break. So instead of like getting. Uh, some type of help from that traumatic experience she I guess started going down this like religious path instead thinking that like there's a plan for her all this stuff then in her internal or in her, in her narration you know once she starts she gets dismissed all this stuff happens she still can't make any connections with people whatever she starts like questioning the plan or like why is or there's some line about like if this is how God treats his like, his devoted people, I can't imagine how bad, like, the bad people are dealing right now or whatever. It's more eloquent than what I just said, but, you know, that... Yeah, yeah. That was a good line. So, all in the head, pretty sure. The climax, then, she goes back to you. Well, she she meets the new nurse of Amanda, who... That's kind of a funny-ish scene, a little bit. I don't think she meets. I think she's stalking. Because at this point, she has in her head that, like... Well, yes. Uh, yes, I know. Yeah. Her life's mission is to save Amanda. Yeah. That's true. From eternal damnation or whatever. Uh, yeah, I wasn't trying to imply that she just randomly met her, you know, wherever. But she goes and, like, has them have a meeting, you know. Um, like, saying, I love healthcare workers and all this, and then, you know. Then she realizes that the woman doesn't re- really care about Amanda or whatever, you know. It's just a job. Right, right. The woman's just like, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that she's going to die any fucking day now. Yeah. And then she, like, just start, kind of storms away. And one's like, oh, what's your name, though? So that was kind of darkly funny in some ways. So then she goes to Amanda's house. She tries to, like, give her some last rites or some sort of thing, I think. Amanda's um, resistant to it. Yeah. They even kind of, like, make up a little bit. Um, like, she tells her, like, I was just fucking with you the whole time. Like, obviously, I was not going to become religious in my last days. There is a moment where it feels that there has been a reconciliation, and then Maud starts to try to pray over her, and she's like, fucking stop, I don't want that. Yeah, that's why. Because Amanda does apologize for being rude or mean to her. But then, yeah, she won't go along with the... She's too much of an atheist or whatever to go along with the... Whatever Maud's trying to do. Well, again, if this is me at this point, I'm just like, whatever, do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying anyway. Things to worry about. <laughs> I guess you know if this will save me from getting st- uh, stabbed repeatedly with scissors by a crazy person. Just God, you know? yeah. Which is what happens. Then you see, uh, which we think uh, the movie is saying is just Maud's delusion, but she sees Amanda like all moving around all of a sudden, being like a, d- a demon, basically challenging her, and then she picks up. Yeah, she stabs her to death, basically. So didn't end up dying of that illness in the end amanda well i guess if you weren't if she wasn't as sick she probably could have prevented it but right yeah oh i kind of i bypassed it but there's also the scene too where the co-worker friend whoever it is comes back to her 
little place and tries to see how she's doing, but but she doesn't really realize, obviously, the full extent of what's going on, and there's nothing to be done at that point. Well, at this point, she's gone fully fucking crazy. If she can't have the kind of social psychosexual relationship that she's pretending not to be having with Amanda, like, she's clearly lost it already, right? I have chosen you to fill the godhole inside me, and uh, nothing else will do. So she's returned to this weird sort of, like, deeply fucked up religiousness where, like, she's lined her, uh, like, shoes with thumbtacks and is walking around on them all day. Oh, yeah. With this, like, fair. disgusting squish sound, and she's taking very small steps. She kneels on popcorn kernels at one point. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Her novel or whatever. A novel way to... What's it called when you, like, whip yourself or you do these sort of things for religious reasons? Mm, castigation? Okay, that's... Self-flagellation. Flagellation. Uh, yeah, flagellation maybe specifically is with a whip. But yeah, that's a novel way to <laughs> flagellate slash castigate yourself. <laughs> Kneeling on popcorn kernels. At the nails in the shoe or whatever it was was pretty uh, hard to look at. But yeah, so the girl tries to see what's going on, but doesn't work out, obviously. Um, she's not really listening to her. They do a good... Uh, whoever the... Ca- location people or whatever the decorators set decorators did a fantastic job with her apartments the shittiest looking like place ever. oh my god yeah and the girl comes in like oh this is nice <laughs> yeah but anyway we'll get to the big climax where after she kills amanda she earlier you had seen her looking at this like acetate or whatever it's called so you kind of knew where i was going a little bit at that point she goes to the beach in Wales or wherever, douses herself with the acetate, lights up the match. You kind of hear in the background people like, oh, someone stop her or whatever. But then you switch to like all the people kneeling down before her on the beach. She's glowing like she maybe has the wings back. I'm trying to remember. She has like a halo or something. I think so. And at this point, she has heard the voice of God tell- speaking to her in Welsh of all things. Mm-hmm. Earlier, a little bit earlier, yeah. Telling her what to do, yeah. Yeah, explaining this to her, that, that, that she's done it, she's defeated the devil uh, that was obviously in Amanda's body, and, like, now she'll get to ascend to a rightful place beside him. And it's it's going out of its way not to explain this, obviously, but, like, you, you've got to do it so that, like, everyone can see, right? So that everyone will be moved to me. And that, that's, like, some shit that, like, would be said in the actual Bible, too. The guy always wants a witness. Say what you will about God, but he, he's a showman. Maybe she doesn't have the... Uh, yeah, I guess she does have the wings there. There's a light emanating out. She has a white robe. Oh, she put on, like, this... She just took, like, a bed sheet and, like, wrapped it around herself as, like, a robe. Bed sheets, yeah. Then the last little second, half second, it cuts from that, and you just see her screaming, lit on, lit on fire, and then cuts to black. So that's what we're talking about of, like... I think the movie is saying this. That's what is really happening. She just you know, let herself on fire and kill herself in a terrible way. Yeah. She has fucking snap. And people weren't really kneeling down to start praying her or uh, worshipping her or whatever as as a saint, literal saint. So, yeah. So that's a memorable and disturbing ending, certainly. I would imagine that's what most people will remember from this. Yeah, that was a really holy shit ending. Like, I haven't been moved by one or moved through one emotion or another by, like, the last shot in a movie like that in a really fucking long time. Like, that was rattling. What is this director's name? Rose Glass. Glass. Okay. Yeah, she clearly had a vision here. Um, And succeeded, I would say. 
what else do we so we kind of went over the most obvious stuff of like the delusional person not dealing with their trauma not has social and psychological issues going down a series of bad events that culminates you know something very bad uh we got the obvious religious things like what else was this trying to say do you think well it feels like a movie it feels like it's exploring the idea of when something is all in your head and it felt very real to you like her budding lesbian romance that that she wasn't even aware was such right and it turns out that amanda was fucking with her and also she herself was not willing to admit that she was developing feelings for amanda she was couching it in this like weird religious fantasy that she was already trying to live out and it's like juxtaposing that with the idea that her both her religious ecstasy and several visitations from a god or an angel and also a demon or 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 literally satan that was obviously also all in her head so it just feels like that's like ripe territory if you wanted to pick an easy theme right yeah i agree with that do you, i'm trying to think if there's something about like it's like the character is selfish in a way. She is self-centered in a way, right? Even though it's supposed to be about, like, the higher power of God or whatever. But, like, ultimately everything does end up being about herself, kind of, right? Including the epic... What she thinks is the epic conclusion. Like, she's a saint, you know, like, I'm doing this in front of everyone. Yeah. And I was wondering, yeah, if that the director-writer is, like, going into that territory at all too about like how we're because also she's like so lonely or whatever she doesn't have friends all this stuff of like we're like trying to make ourselves more important or people try to make themselves more important especially like in today's world than they are kind of like what people say about the social media and all of it which isn't too much of a factor in this film but like i can still see this character just instead of like having a face a fake life on instagram or whatever is like doing this religious thing instead it's not completely that because there's a lot of other elements to her delusions as well, but I could kind of see like something about that. I haven't f- completely formulated my thought, I guess, but... Yeah, no, I, I like that, and I think you're onto something. Like, not only is she the hero in in her story and that being a subjective thing and possibly untrue, her story isn't even true, right? Right. She's imagining so much of it. Yes, all the times when... You see her, like, like what I was trying to say, shimming or whatever you call it, like, having that experience, or, like, with the wings, all this stuff. She's really just... Writhing in religious ecstasy. <laughs> yeah. Call it what it is. She's coming. Or in the in the later scene, I think she's just wasted, drunk, or whatever, stumbling around, probably. Yeah. She even, like, throws up everywhere, too, and stuff. Yeah. I would recommend it. <laughs> um, if you... I guess with the caveat, if you like this sort of... If you like a, a film that's going to get a little uh, fucked up or uh, have some tough, surprising stuff. Is this... I mean, this is considered a horror film, I guess. Like, It's horrifying, for sure. It's... Yeah. I, I guess it doesn't have to be have like a supernatural sure. element to be a horror movie, right? Yeah. So, yes. So that is, like, the slight difference from, like, I guess a hereditary or whatever, which has mentioned before because there's some similarities with that too so with that being said yeah i would and like i said it's short as well so if all those boxes tick for you i would say do it i might watch it again at some point uh because there i think there's definitely things you could go back to and you'll pick up more on a second viewing i would imagine uh symbolically and things like that especially if you know where it's gonna end up it seems like that type of film yeah and it it is 
an exhilarating watch. It's like from the awkward tension to the like tension of oh oh no oh god oh fuck yeah I put my phone down so that's something. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, no, it, it did. It, that's a good point too. It did move at a pretty good clip, even despite because you could have a short movie that still can be a drag. It's poorly paced and all that. This definitely had you going the whole time. I would say because I was watched. I watched it uh, maybe yeah two nights ago. Started it a little bit later. I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll watch half, finish it tomorrow or whatever. But no, that didn't happen. You know, I was hooked the whole way through. Yeah, man. Until the brutal conclusion that we've gone over. Yeah, so it's Saint Maud, the June pick for movies are relevant. What uh before we wrap up is anything else you've been watching that you wanted to mention or I guess not, you just said only Top Chef and all that, right? I did watch the new Conjuring movie, which kind of disappointed me actually. Oh right. I meant to ask you about that. Oh, I watched Under the Silver Lake and High Life by Claire Denis. Uh, on the same damn day and those are two really weird fucking films i haven't seen the second one i have seen the first one is the highlight does have robert penson in it maybe that's correct yeah he's on a spaceship alone with a baby not alone yeah i heard about it is that a wreck from you like it seems good i'm not even sure i fully understood it i don't know i've been trying to challenge myself too because like well i've been trying to work backward uh lately through contemporary current french cinema uh work my way back to the really like dance impossible to understand um film buff stuff from like the 60s and 70s that like everyone always references and i never bothered to watch so i've been watching like some gaspar noe films and there's one that i will not be watching <laughs> um love but isn't that just like a porn and i've, I've been working on claire denis which too. one which one will you what? watch oh i do not need to see uh irreversible oh irreversible i've never seen that yet either i my old roommate was like getting in a debate with my other roommate at the time about it a couple, uh, once they got in like a, a heated discussion if i recall yeah there's one called love i think that's a newer one that's just not as new as climax but from a couple years before that where i, I think it's literally just yeah two people literally fucking on screen the whole time so you will watch that or you have seen that one i, I plan to watch it yes okay Climax, I liked for the most part. I mean, it's really fucked up to you again. I, maybe by the end I was getting a little sick of it, but it propels you for a while. Well, I think, I think he does such a good job with that last, like, 20-minute tracking shot, too, at the very end. Try and even remember. At that point, you are kind of getting bored of watching these, like, people be high out of their minds and talk just nonsense about who's fucking who, right? But then it, like, locks you over the shoulder of one person and, like, follows them around a corner into a dorm room and there's an altercation there and it follows someone else out of the room. And at that point, like, you're not looking away because, like, he knows what he's doing structurally, like, with the cameras. Like, no, no, no. We're locked in here. Be with me. Be with me. I really like that movie. What was the one character? The one character who's, like, keeps it together the most probably is where they call him, like, Daddy or something like that. Yes, Daddy. He's, like, DJing. I, that, I like that character. And then, oh, what were we saying about... Okay, so High Life is... It takes place in space. It's French, you're working backwards. I'm trying to retrace the, the steps back to what we were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting one that I'm not sure I fully understood. And probably need to watch other Claire Denis films and then return to. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think if I've seen any of hers. Because uh, I, don't, I don't get what she's doing in some way, places. Under the Silver Lake I saw a couple years ago. I think i remember liking it pretty well i liked it it's, it's kind of like a one of the of like a it's film noirish in a way or as like the uh-huh. it's almost like sort of like a detective where they get moved all around even though it's not really a detective i don't 
that I recall, but, like, they get kind of moved around to all these, like, weird different places or kind of follow, like, a pet. It's like a character that shouldn't really be involved with any of the stuff that they encounter, and they're just, like, yeah, you know, that type of thing. It mostly just made me want to watch Inherent Vice uh, again, but... That's what I was about to reference with that, which I think I liked Under the Silver like that. I think I had some issues with the Heron Vice, but I probably should watch that again, too, because I know a lot of people love it, but that one was almost maybe too dense in that way of, like, not understanding what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I was getting some other vibes to that, for sure. Oh, I wanted... To, there's two things I wanted to mention based around our last episode, which was, of course, the alcohol episode, another round, and uh, the, the last weekend... One quickly was just that uh, I found out about another Mads movie that came out in 2020 as well that's also supposed to be really good. What's that? Which I might watch this weekend or I'm going to watch soon. It's another, I believe, another Danish language one. A revenge movie, I guess, called... What the hell were I read? Oh, called Riders of Justice. So apparently it's like a, a revenge thriller, but... Of, like, a brief review I read of it said, like, it's a little more going on, or it's, like, there's... has a lot of heart, and and it's, like, a little... has quirky stuff or whatever, so... Planning to watch that real soon. Wanted to recommend that to people, I guess. Cool. Ahead of... Ahead of me watching it. <laughs> Backwards, kind of doing it, but... I assume I'll probably enjoy it. I was saying last time, is Mads... I was wondering last episode, is Mads, like, my favorite actor? And then... I wanted to re- recommend a documentary, which I meant to bring up last time and forgot, uh, that I'd seen fairly recently as well, which is called, I believe it's called Bloody Noses, Empty Pockets, or maybe a reverse of those two terms. But it's about a bar in Vegas, like a dive bar in Vegas, that clo- that was open for a long time, had the, all the regulars, and then they closed... I think it was probably sometime in 2019 when this happened and it was filmed. They just filmed the last day at the bar with all the regulars coming in and saying goodbye and all this stuff. And I think it was uh, it's really good. Awesome. So I wanted to recommend that to you. So there's some very... Like, obviously, it's all real people. It's not doctored up in any way, really. Um, but you still get some really affecting scenes, I think, from these various characters, a lot of whom don't really have... Like, this is, like going to this dive bar is like the best thing they have in their life basically uh and then it's ending because uh, the bar is it's the last day so yeah that's a, another wreck two back in the whole alcoholism drinking tip that sounds like a really good movie could be made out of that topic that as well i'm sure i'm i'm gonna watch it the last documentary that i watched was called the mothman of point pleasant so um it's about the mothman the Richard wasn't there a Richard Gere movie about that the Mothman? Yeah, is that something different? The Mothman prophecy. In fact, based about based upon allegedly real events. So yes, I am still on my bullshit. Clearly, well, keeping it, uh, yeah, you gotta mix those things in with your newfound uh, French oeuvre that you're gonna get into. I'm doing it. So working backwards, so you're you're only on 2018 or whatever, right? Or 2019? Yeah, right now I'm right now I'm slowly working through the films of Gaspar Noé and Claire Denis. I'll, I'll I'll find out who their contemporaries are and start with them too. You'll eventually get to Breathless one day. Is Noé? I didn't. I guess Noé is is he French even? I guess his, a lot of his films are French language. Uh, he's very French. The tradition to which he belongs is called New French Extremism. Okay. Um, so. 
Okay, yeah, because I don't even consider... When I think about them, I'm not really thinking French, but I guess, yeah. But, like, Climax is all in French, right, I guess, pretty much, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, we really mixed up the format this time a little bit with uh, you not even finishing the second film, we, us talking about that first. I tried, man. Then we did, we did what we've been watching at the end. I like it. It's a little little summertime smash up yeah we're keeping it fresh keeping it hot exactly keeping it real hot now i am gonna unfortunately though i am gonna uh demand that you finish dracula's daughter right now as soon as we click off on the podcast here i expect you back in front of that computer finishing dracula's daughter and i want a full uh, report next episode sounds good man on that 1936 you gotta no uh, that should do it for this time Hey, subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network if you're not already. We got good basketball content coming out these days. The last couple of podcasts, we had our prediction, playoff predictions, how the playoff's going. There should be one coming out soon that uh, our boy Nam, unfortunately, his, uh, unfortunately for him, his Nets did not get it done uh, due to injuries and otherwise. So we're going to get his thoughts real shortly. Look out for that. I went to a playoff game, so we're going to get my thoughts on, on that experience, seeing the Los Angeles Clippers in their first ever Western Conference championship home game. So look out for that, students. Stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network. You'll get all of those episodes. Check out Drew's views on YouTube for some reactions, maybe some things with E-Dash and I'm here coming up soon, hopefully. No thanks, y'all, on Twitter. That's where you can see him. Uh, I think I got that right, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Nice. And uh, yeah, that, and we'll be back uh, next month for another episode. So until then, we're up out of here. Peace. Productions.